I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been uh, speaking for the last several uh, Wednesday nights on manifestations of the Spirit, or as some people call them, spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writing by the Holy Ghost said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice the word gifts is in italics. That means the translators added it to help our understanding. In the original Greek, it says, Now concerning spirituals. The word spiritual is in the plural. Well, that doesn't make much sense to us and didn't to the translators either. And so that's why they added the word gifts in there. The word spirituals in the Greek means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So literally this is saying, Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Then he skips down to verse 4 and begins to tell us about how the manifestations of the Spirit operate. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. He's basically telling us that God does different things in different ways. We can't ever put him in a box. We can't ever assume that one way is the only way that he operates. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom... To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith. Some translations say special faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, this uh, list of nine manifestations of the Spirit is broken up into three categories. Three of these manifestations reveal something supernaturally. Three of these manifestations do something. They produce results. Three of these manifestations say something. They're the utterance gifts. And so the Holy Ghost manifests himself in these nine different ways that Paul is telling us about. But now I want, uh, we uh, want to speak again tonight on the power gifts of the Spirit, working of miracles, special faith, and gifts of healings. But I want you to look down further into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, about verse 20. Uh, where do we want to start? Let's start in verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ. Uh, before we read further, let me make mention of the verses that we skipped over. He talks about how the, the uh, family of God is like a body. It works with different members and different elements. Each part of the body has a specific work to do. And he talks about how that we as, in, uh, as believers, as individuals, members of the family of God, should understand how we are to work together with other people. And he continues... Now you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Now I want you to notice that he shifted from something. Remember the whole subject of this 12th chapter is things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Well, a lot of people think that, he, that uh, spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, as we've identified in this list of nine different manifestations, that that's all he's talking about concerning the Holy Ghost. But everything in this chapter is pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. 
Everything in this chapter, in fact, uh, what it's telling us, Paul is revealing to us by the Spirit of God, is that it's supernatural how the body was fit together. It's supernatural how the family of God is fit together. That's of the Holy Ghost. It's just as much of the Holy Ghost as manifestations of the Spirit. Now, those of us that uh, believe in these manifestations of the Spirit, there are a lot of people in the modern-day church that uh, believe these things have passed away or they don't operate anymore, or at least they don't operate like they once did. Uh, those of us that believe that they're the same now as they ever were and God hadn't changed any, we are quick to focus on the supernatural aspect of these manifestations. But we need to realize that's not all there is to the Holy Ghost. We need to realize and accept, understand that the body working together and us walking in love to the degree that the body can function together as a whole and as a single unit, those things are important as well. But now Paul starts talking about other things God has said in the church. Notice he said God set first apostles in the church. Well, is an apostle a ministry gift or is it a manifestation of the Spirit? It's a ministry gift. Then he goes on to talk about the prophets. Prophets is a ministry gift. It's a ministry office. So he's not just confining himself to talking about manifestations of the Spirit. And you'll notice in this list that we just read and we'll look at again there are certain manifestations of the Spirit that are identified in that list, and there are certain ministry gifts or ministry offices that are identified in this list. Let's read it again. Verse 28, it says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles. Now, the fact that he uses the word first here means he has an order in mind. What order is this? Well, it can't be the order of importance because it's a mixture of manifestations of the Spirit and ministry gifts. So he'd be comparing apples to oranges, so to speak. He'd be comparing ministry gifts with manifestations of the Spirit. And that would be inconsistent and it would be very disorganized. We would have to question the validity of the Holy Ghost being the author of these things or inspiring Paul to write these things. When he talks about first apostles, he's talking about the order in which God set them in the church, not the order of importance. But he's talking about how these things first manifested themselves and the order and the arrangement that God gave the early church when it was brand new after Jesus was raised from the dead. So it says God set some in the church first apostles. Well, the apostles were the first thing that that, uh, uh, God established in this church, in this family of God, this body of Christ. After they were saved, met Jesus, found Jesus to be alive after his crucifixion, and then they were filled with the Holy Ghost. It was the apostles, it was the 12 that were primarily responsible for all the ministry work that there was. And the church grew immediately. On the day of Pentecost, there were 5,000 people that were saved and added to the, to the Lord, added to the family of God. That was due to the work of the apostles. Then he says the next is prophets, secondarily prophets. The Bible says in another place, Paul said that the whole church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So God first sent those who were sent, those apostles, apostle means sent one, those who were sent to testify of Jesus, and the prophets were the ones who were designated to speak for God. Now that primarily made up the, uh, the uh, were made up of the apostles themselves too, but we have many examples of where as the things of God began to grow and expand, ministry gifts began to develop as well. So he says, first, God said in the church apostles, secondarily prophets, 
Thirdly, teachers. Got to have somebody to teach people what we believe and why. Notice the next, he says, after that, miracles. Then gifts of healings. Notice gifts and healings are both in the the plural. In the original text, the three times that the phrase gifts of healings are used, they're always in the plural. Both gifts and healings. A plurality of gifts for a plurality of healings. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments. Now the government has to be uh, headed up in the pastor's office. So notice the helps ministry was established in the body of Christ before the pastors were raised up. The first uh, example we have of a pastor being um, raised up and put in position is James. Now this isn't James, the brother of John. He's already been beheaded uh, according to the book of Acts. But this James that becomes the head of the church is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, remember that when the, uh, when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter starts being the leader of the group. And remember, Jesus said before he went away, he said, well, I, I'm sorry, after he was raised from the dead on one of his appearances to the disciples or the apostles, he asked Peter if he loved him, asked him three times. And Peter was grieved when the Lord kept asking him this. He's probably thinking of the three times that he denied Jesus on the night that he was crucified or the night before he was crucified. So Peter is grieved in his heart. But each time Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so he's talking about doing the work of the the pastor in the early church, the, the church at Jerusalem, which was primarily made up of Jewish Christians, Jews who became Christians. It, the, uh, it took a while for the gospel to spread to the Gentiles. But Peter stays and remains the leader of the church in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 15 where James shows up. Now when I say James shows up, what I mean by that, it's the first mention of him that's made in the, the early days of the church. And James has such a position that he starts deciding on things as he's led by the Spirit of God. In other words, he begins to govern over the church. So governments has to be headed up in the pastor's office. So God said some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Now notice verse 29. Paul's making a point here. He says, are all apostles? Well, not everybody's going to stand in the ministry office of the apostle, are they? So the answer is obviously no. Then he says, are all prophets? Same thing. Not everybody's going to stand in the ministry office of the prophet. So the answer is no. Are all teachers? Not everybody has a teaching gift. Anybody can teach what they know. But not everybody has a teaching gift. So the answer to that is no. Are all workers of miracles? Obviously not. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we cannot expect a miracle in our own lives? No, the Bible talks about us being able to receive by faith even the miraculous. You can take hold of the things of God just you by yourself through faith in the word and obtain any miracle that the word covers faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word so if we're believing for something that's miraculous we'd have to have a foundation of God's word to have faith to receive it but here he's talking about working of miracles as being a ministry office too or a ministry set in the church maybe office is not the right word to use but he's talking about just as there are workers of working of miracles as a manifestation of the spirit of God There are people who will work miracles in the body of Christ. There are people who are set and equipped. 
I'll show you an example of one in just a minute. But people that are set in the church and equipped to work miracles as a ministry demonstration. Then he says, have all the gifts of healings. Well, the answer on that has to be no too, doesn't it? If we're going to be consistent, if he's talking about not everybody's going to be an apostle, then he has to be saying that not everybody is going to be a worker of miracles and not everybody's going to have a gift of healing. Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? Here's a, a place where a lot of people have used scriptures, taken scriptures out of context and tried to uh, claim or have established the belief for themselves that not everybody can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Not everybody should speak with other tongues. But folks, we've got to be consistent. If he's asking, do all speak with tongues and do all interpret, he's got to be talking about a ministry operation. He's not talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost in your private life. He's talking about a ministry operation, just like not everybody's going to be a worker of miracles. Anybody can obtain a miracle by faith in God's Word, but that doesn't mean you're going to operate in a ministry setting by working of miracles. In just the same way, not everybody's going to speak in tongues and interpret in public discourse or as a, a, a ministry operation. But there are some who have a ministry of tongues and interpretation. It's one of the utterance gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. And they work to bring news from heaven of good things that will edify us and strengthen us. But here he's saying, do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? Well, obviously not. In the context that he's talking about, as a ministry gift. As a ministry gift. But notice the place that two of the power gifts of the Spirit, working of miracles and gifts of healing is placed. Look where they stand in the order of where God, what God established in the church. They certainly must be important. They certainly must be important. Now, folks, I want you to turn back with me to Acts chapter 3. These gifts of healings, we'll talk about the gifts of healings first. These gifts of healings, have to be supernatural if, the, if this list is really a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. If this list of nine things tells us how the Holy Ghost will manifest himself, then it can't have anything to do with medical science. See, some people try to bail out on the gifts of the Spirit or manifestations of the Holy Ghost and say that these things have been supplanted or uh, completed by certain things that have developed through technological sources or man's increased knowledge or whatever. Some will say that speaking in tongues is not necessary because now we know how to learn other languages. Some would say that gifts of healings are not necessary or they're fulfilled by medical science that now knows so much more than they, than they used to in the days of the church. Well, folks, that can't be. If the Holy Ghost said in the church gifts of healings, and what the doctor or medical science can do, if that's the way God heals nowadays, then should the doctor's services be free? If it's of God, if that's God's way of operating. No, that doesn't make sense to us at all. These manifestations of the Spirit, this list of nine manifestations, each and every one of them are supernatural in nature. Therefore, gifts of healings would have to be outside the realm of medical science. That means gifts of healings would have no bearing or require no aid of medical science whatsoever for God to bring healing to the physical body. In Acts chapter 3, it tells us about Peter and John going to the beautiful gate, going through the beautiful gate to the temple. Let's start reading in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate 
of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. He's begging for money. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat at alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this, or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power, our own holiness, we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up. And denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now notice verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now let's talk a little bit about what we've read. So, much, so many times, so much of the church world is talking about the apostles having special power, healing power that nobody else had. And when the last apostle died, all that was done away with. They identify or assume that the apostles had some kind of special power that the rest of the church can't have. Or they assume that the, the apostles, by their holiness, by their special relationship with God, have something that nobody else can have. But folks, I want you to realize those are the two things that Peter identifies weren't the cause of this man being healed. He said, why look you so earnestly on us as if by our own power or, if, or by our own holiness we've made this man to walk? He's saying they didn't have a special relationship they didn't have special power. They didn't have anything out of the ordinary that's not available for the rest of the church. Now, folks, they should know, shouldn't they? I mean, I've heard people preach with great confidence and great boldness, talking about how the, when the last apostle died, all these manifestations of the Spirit were done away with or completed by something like healings for medical knowledge and um, so forth. Well, if anybody's going to know whether they had special power or a special relationship with God, it ought to be them, shouldn't it? And Peter said, those are the two things that it was not. Well, if those are the two things that it was not, what was it? Notice he says, we'll read it again. It says in verse 16, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, folks, here's my question. Whose faith is he talking about? Is he talking about the crippled man's faith? If he's talking about the crippled man's faith, how did Peter know that he had faith? He's asking for money. He doesn't look at Peter and John coming into the temple and say, hey, wait a minute, I heard about you guys on the day of Pentecost. 
How would, Paul, uh, how would Peter know that this guy had faith? There's nothing in the record that would give any indication of that whatsoever. Well, then whose faith is he talking about? He's got to be talking about his own faith. I believe he gives us a clue here where he says the name of Jesus did the work. He's crediting the power of God in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus did the faith or did the work because he had faith in his name. But then notice the next thing he says, the faith which is by him. He doesn't say the faith which is in him. He doesn't say our faith which is in Jesus. He says the faith which is by or of Jesus has made this man strong. It looks to me like a gift of faith in operation. Doesn't it you? Now there's one thing that we know about Peter. Peter was used in the gift of faith to a great degree. You remember that um, uh, a little bit further over in the, in the book of Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 12 where it talks about how he raises the guy from the dead. I'm sorry, raises the woman from the dead. Dorcas raises the woman from the dead. Well, it, obviously it takes the gift of faith to raise the dead, doesn't it? You and I aren't going to do that on ordinary faith. We're not going to be able to do that on common faith. Because that would reveal or that would require a revelation of something more than what we would have just looking at the Scripture. So Peter was obviously, obviously used in the gift of faith in that regard or in that respect. But you remember the story how that after this uh, man at the beautiful gate is healed, Peter and John are taken into custody and questioned by the, the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders of the day. And they threaten them and uh, command them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus and so forth. Peter stands up and, and says, whether we ought to obey God or man, you'll just have to decide that for yourself. In other words, he was filled with boldness this is the part of the same group that just a couple of months before he was hiding behind closed doors because he was afraid of them. He's not afraid anymore. He's not afraid anymore. He's talking to them face to face, saying how unjust they were in their condemnation of Jesus. And now the threatenings that they've made against them aren't going to have any effect either because they're going to obey God. But I want you to look at uh, what they, after they're released, they go to their own company and tell what happened and, and pray a prayer that I want you to see. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said. Now, folks, I want you to realize that these words have meaning. Look in the first part of verse 24 again. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice. They lifted up their voice. They start praying together. Now, what are they doing? Is somebody leading them in prayer? Is somebody saying these words and they're repeating after him? We wouldn't expect that to be the case, would we? We don't have any, any indication that that's any, uh, any way that God has ever instructed man to pray before. Well, how are they going to pray? These folks are filled with the Holy Ghost. They may start off in English for a little bit, or someone may start off in English for a little bit. But by and large, they're going to be praying in other tongues because they know praying in tongues is a supernatural means of communication with God. And remember in Romans chapter 8, they may not be aware of this yet because Paul hasn't written these words. But in Romans chapter 8, it identifies how that the Holy Ghost helps us to pray beyond what we know we ought to pray. Now, they know they ought to continue to do the work of God no matter what threats have been made against them. But look at the eloquence of this prayer. 
I want to consider, I want you to consider, and I want to suggest to you that this could very well be the interpretation of what they're praying in other tongues. I'm not saying it has to be that, but how else are they all going to be praying the same thing? See, when the Holy Ghost gives you words in other tongues to speak out or to pray, those words are a language. They're not a language that we understand, but they're a language that God understands. And if the Holy Ghost is giving them words to pray, then he's going to be inspiring each and every one of the people that are in the house that are part of this prayer. And so he's going to be giving them utterance, maybe not in the same tongue, but giving them utterance to pray the perfect will of the Father, and here it is. So when they heard these things, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, just getting to the place where they're going to ask for something. They put God in remembrance of his word. They identify that they know what's going on. They understand the plan and the purpose of God. They understand why the rulers of, of the Jews have taken the position against them that they have. They understand all of those things. They have declared before they ever get to asking anything of God, they've declared that they believe God is the most powerful force and that none of the things that have transpired change anything as far as his plan and his purpose. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and, sign, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I thought this group was already filled with the Holy Ghost. They are. They were. So when it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that just means the Spirit of God refreshed them with the boldness that they needed to do the work that was set before them. But I want you to back up just a little bit and see what the prayer is. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. Folks, there's a boldness that comes from experiencing the healing power of God that can't come any other way. Now, I want you to notice that he also mentions signs and wonders being done in the name of the Lord. So he's separating, just like the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, He's separating healing works from signs and wonders. Now, neither one of these words, signs or wonders, are the word used for miracles in the New Testament. One word is used specifically as sign, a sign meaning something that points to a greater result. And the other word that's used for wonders is usually translated mighty works. But we would certainly understand by the context of what they're praying that he's talking about miraculous things even though he doesn't use the word for miracles. So when Luke tells us what they're praying for, they're praying for the boldness that comes from seeing God or experiencing God's healing power. And they're praying for miraculous things to be done that will cause the people to be amazed. 
Well, what happens? When they had prayed, the place was shaken shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them aught of the things that they possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Now, folks, please remember that it's just a very short period of time before Jerusalem is overcome and overthrown. And these people lose all their possessions anyway. God's not into communism. A lot of people will look at this and say, well, we want to go back to being a New Testament church. Well, if you're going to to be a New Testament church and follow the pattern of these guys as far as communal type offerings and gifts, then you're going to have to put yourself in a position where the place where you are living is going to be destroyed very soon and operate in the same way they did in that case. There was a very specific purpose for a very specific time. The Bible doesn't command that of us. It goes further and says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So it's talking about the power that they had. It's talking about an increase of power in the church. Look at chapter 5. It tells us the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We'll skip over that a little bit. Notice verse 12. This is still an answer to their prayer, a result of the prayer that they prayed. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. That's what they prayed for, wasn't it? Grant unto your servants boldness that they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. Here's the answer to what they prayed. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Now, folks, what is the boldness that they prayed for in chapter 4 intended to produce? They asked for the boldness that comes by God stretching forth his hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. To what end or for what purpose, if not to bring people into the family of God? If not to increase the church. If not to show people. That the God that used to do miracles. Is still the same God today. But that the focus and the emphasis. Is on Jesus and his resurrection. And not the keeping of the law. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. In so much. Verse 15. In so much that they brought forth the sick under the streets. And laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now I want you to notice, we can go back, and I may take some time to do it in a little bit. We can go back to the Old Testament and identify that the, the emphasis in the Old Testament was on miracles. The emphasis of God's work in the New Testament is healing. So you're naturally going to see more gifts of healings in the New Covenant or under the New Covenant, the day of the church, the church age, than you ever saw in the Old Testament. Now, there were people that were healed in the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, certainly. You remember Naaman, who came to Elisha, was healed by dipping in the Jordan River seven times. Obviously, there were healing events and healings that occurred in the Old Testament. 
But by and large, the emphasis in, in the old covenant was miracles. But look at where healing takes, the place that healing takes in the New Testament. Now, we don't have any record of any other time, any other place, any other situation where anybody was ever healed by shadow except this. We have examples, uh, for example, in Acts chapter 19, where it talks about how God anointed, uh, God did special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were taken unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. And when they were laid on the sick, the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Special miracles. No question about it. God's still in the special miracle business. But even that, the special miracles that were wrought into Paul's or by Paul's hands, through him laying hands on these cloths or aprons or whatever they were, pieces of clothing, and taking back to the sick. Notice even those miracles resulted in healing. There's a much, 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 much greater emphasis of healing. In the, old, in the New Testament than there was in the Old. Much, much greater. And here we see things that we consider to be miraculous. Healing by shadow, that's miraculous, isn't it? Healing by the contact of cloth, that's miraculous too. You remember people came to Jesus trying to touch his garment. Apparently cloth or clothing is a conductor for the power of God. Because that's all that happened with Paul. Only difference was they didn't come to him. But these aprons or handkerchiefs or whatever were sent out or taken to where the sick were. And it worked just the same as if they had come to him or come to Jesus. Even as the Bible describes. Are you out there? Turn with me to um, Acts chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And in those days when the number of the multitudes was multi the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Here's one of the greatest miracles in the early church. Everybody was satisfied with what God said. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenaeus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You remember... Um, just as a small point of, of information. You remember when Jesus wrote to the, uh, or when John received the message of the revelation from Jesus and the, the cover letter or the information that he gave them to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. One of the things that he said to two of the churches is that he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know where the doctrine of the Nicolaitans came from? This Nicholas right here that was one of the seven. He went off track, probably lost his salvation from what Jesus said, writing uh, what John wrote that Jesus told us. But this is the Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. 
and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Notice verse 8, here's Stephen. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Here's somebody with working of miracles in operation. Now he's what we would consider to be an usher or a deacon in the church. He's a helper. He's helping with business matters. He's helping with the, the, the distribution of food, making sure everybody gets an equal amount or the amount that they need or whatever. But notice he's a man full of faith and power, and he did great signs and miracles among the people. Working of miracles is not just limited to people that stand in the ministry office, apparently. Here's the manifestation of this working of miracles that takes place in somebody. And the indication or the implication is that he performed a number of miracles that everybody was able to see and was aware of. Turn back with me to, um, well, turn over with me to Acts chapter 8 first. It talks about the persecution that's leveled against the church. Verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Here's another one of the seven. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He's performing miracles. But unlike the information about Stephen, it tells us what miracles were performed. For, in other words, here's the explanation of the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. I want you to notice that Philip seems to have a gift of healing regarding the lame. It doesn't say a word about a blind eye being opened. doesn't say anybody that was deaf regained their hearing. But it does talk about two things. One is the casting out of devils, and the other is the healing of the lame that were there, those that had palsies or were lame. Brother Hagin used to talk about the Voice of Healing days. The Voice of Healing was a magazine, a publication that was the mouthpiece, so to speak, for the, those that were involved in the healing revival. The healing revival started in 1947 and ended about 1958. And during that time, there was a great move of God in the area of healing for the physical body. There were ministers that were raised up seemingly out of nowhere that were exhibiting great healing power by the work of God themselves, uh, of course, not themselves. But Brother Hagin said that when the healing revival started and there was such a wave of healing that began, he said there were people that had very little, if any, ministry anointing upon them at all. He talked about one uh, couple that used to work with him. They'd do the announcements for his meetings. Uh, they'd lead the congregational singing and do that kind of thing. He said that they really didn't even have a, a teaching ministry or a, a public preaching ministry of any um, significance whatsoever. But when the healing revival came onto the scene, these people went out and started doing miracles and signs and wonders and just tremendous things. He said it was just the way that it was. We'd like to duplicate that, at least I would. I'd like to be able to control that, wouldn't you? But when it was happening, when it's not happening, there's nothing you can do. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. Everybody will see real quick 
whether or not you've got anything to do with it. But he said when it was taking place, he said it was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. He said faith was at an all-time high. You'd walk into a, a room, meeting place, tent meeting, whatever it was, and he said the, there was just such electricity in the air. There was such expectation. Everybody was waiting to see what God was going to do. And he did phenomenal things, just phenomenal things. Well, several years into the healing revival, and please understand, folks, the only way we can learn about a lot of this stuff is through experience. We can have any kind of theory or any kind of belief that we want to, hopefully based on the Word. But it's only through experience that we learn about things that are new to us. And Brother Hagin said that um, there were, at these conventions, that have an annual convention each year for the Voice of Healing ministers or group, ministry group. And he said they began to notice something. Several years in, they began to notice something. In comparing notes, some would say, you know, I've had a tremendous success over the last 12 months in the area of laying hands on the blind and them receiving their sight. And somebody else would speak up and say, you know, I haven't had a blind eye opened ever, but anybody that's crippled that I lay hands on is healed and able to walk. And so they began to talk about things like that. Brother Hagin talked about one guy that had a, a gift of healing. They assumed, and I think it's rightly assumed, but still you decide for yourself. They assumed that gifts of healings, therefore, meant a gift in a specific area of sickness or disease. Brother Hagin said that he saw one guy that only prayed for the deaf. He identified where his ministry gift was, and he wouldn't even call up for anybody else other than people had, that had, were deaf. He said... Anything wrong with their ears, whether or not they had an eardrum or whether it had been broken and, and ruptured or whatever. He said this guy would get everybody healed that was, had anything wrong with their ears whatsoever. Brother Hagen identified that he had a special gift or special anointing, which just simply means greater success in the area of rupture or knots or growths or tumors. And so they, they started comparing notes and realized that not everybody has the same gift. And even though it's a healing revival, that's sweeping multitudes of people into the kingdom of God and showing and displaying the power of God in operation. They still had areas of success. Each one of these guys had different areas of success. He told one time about uh, a meeting they had with Howard Carter. Howard Carter was one of the uh, leaders in the establishing of the Assembly of God movement, the first Pentecostal denomination that, um, uh, that was formed or organized in the United States. And Brother Carter wrote a book on spiritual gifts. And it's excellent. It's still good today. One of the things about writings or the anointing that's on people is that if it's the Holy Ghost that's inspiring it to be done, it shouldn't have to be rewritten or corrected. Well, that's the way Howard Carter's book on spiritual gifts is. <coughs> it's excellent. And still just as strong and true today as it ever was. Well, somebody, Brother Hagin was talking to Brother Carter after a meeting that he was in. And uh, somebody came up to him and asked him to pray for their healing. And Brother Carter said, you know, ma'am, that's just really not my gift. He said, God has sent me to lay hands on people to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, anybody I lay hands on to be filled with the Holy Ghost always receives. He said, but my God uses my wife over here in healing. Just about anybody she lays hands on gets healed. So he says, I could lay hands on you on faith, in faith, 
that you'd be better off going to somebody that's got a special gift in that area. So he sent her over to where his wife was in another part of the room. She laid hands on her and she was miraculously or instantly healed. Well, doesn't that make sense and doesn't that seem to fit with the things that the Bible tells us about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 concerning the body fitting together as one? Now, what about Jesus? Jesus certainly didn't have a gift of healing. Jesus ministered to anybody and everybody equally. But the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 34, it tells us that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. It said God didn't give the Spirit by measure unto him. And the implication is he has given the Spirit of God by measure unto us. Now, certainly we would have to assume that the whole of the body of Christ together has the Spirit without measure. But that doesn't mean I've got it without measure and doesn't mean you've got him without measure. It means we have limitations that Jesus did not have because he had the Spirit without measure. Now, you can understand that. You can understand that as the only one operating under the anointing of God in his day and time, he would have the Spirit without measure, and it would be necessary for him. If Jesus, for example, only had a gift of healing to open blind eyes, I'm sure that still would have made him famous. But look at all the things that it would have robbed us of concerning his ministry and concerning that which he revealed to us about God's will and his plan to heal the sick. Is this making any sense? Do you understand what I'm getting at? But look at the emphasis in the New Testament on healing. It's everywhere. Everything about the book of Acts is magnifying the healing power of God. Even Paul on his journey, when he was shipwrecked, he was on his journey to Rome, and they were shipwrecked and cast upon the island of Melita. It talks about how that Paul laid hands on the, the chief of the tribe of people that lived there, and he was healed. And then they started bringing in the sick from all over the, the island where Paul was and he laid hands on them and they were all healed there's a special emphasis on healing in our day folks now God hadn't changed if there was a special emphasis in the days of the church in the book of Acts there's still the same emphasis and still the same intent on God's end for us too can you see that I think we need to be bolder in talking about God's healing power and his healing mercy I believe that we need to be bolder in talking about the will of God in healing. Don't you? I love that prayer that they prayed in Acts chapter 4. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. I love that prayer. And they got exactly what they prayed for. Healings increased. Signs and wonders and miracles were done. Now, if it was okay for them to pray that prayer, why wouldn't it be okay for us to pray it too? If God never changes, and that was a prayer that he obviously heard and answered, then why couldn't we expect the same results in our day too? Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand. Let's just pray that prayer together. Say this after me, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would grant unto us boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal 
and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your great mercy, your healing mercy. We thank you for being good. We thank you for your will to heal all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.